Hi, this is LGBTQ and A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Nick Casey. Nick is the creator of one of the first and only gender-neutral luxury shoewear companies. Stay tuned. Hey, Nick. Hello, Jeffrey. <laughs> hey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Cool, thank you. I'm excited to chat. Um, to chat about Nick Casey footwear, Nick Casey shoes, is it just Nick Casey, uh, the name? I, it started off as just Nick Casey because I wanted the brand to be much more like an umbrella for awesome. many things that I want to do, but I decided to add the footwear because I realized that people won't necessarily get what it is at first. Fantastic. So, but it won't be the only thing that we do. Awesome. And I just want to be clear that I'm asking the name of the company, not your name. I know your name. (laughs) (laughs) No, I go by Nick Casey Footwear now. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, So you created the company specifically to solve a problem that you had. Right. That you could not find shoes in your size. Is that right? Yeah. So my whole life, like, walking down the street, you know, I seeing guys, like, with these awesome shoes that I love. And never being able to find them in my size or being told constantly, like, go to the women's section or this is not for you. And, and just feeling very, like, I don't know, uh, ignored, you know, like, underrepresented and dismissed, you yeah. know. Um, so I always had told myself, like, you know, one day, if no one's going to do this, I, I'm going to make my own shoes. But decades went by because, you know, you get into life and paying the bills and things like that. And then... Finally, like, three years ago, I had an opportunity to kind of like reevaluate where I want to be in life, and I realized like you know there's this bucket list of things that I always wanted to do, and this was one of them. I guess I'm just so surprised too because fashion is moving so uh, much more towards like androgynous looks, right. and then you can buy almost anything online. I just right. assumed that this would have existed. Yeah, me too. I was you know constantly like even in the past ten years, just really surprised that with the advent of like online shopping, that even when I would buy shoes online that said it was my size, it would still not fit well. You oh, know? Wow. So I'd always have to like double up on socks or insoles and, and that's not very healthy for you. So Yeah, I mean like shoes are just like so important right. too. Yeah. It's the one thing that carries your entire body weight. It's the one thing that affects your posture, your back, like everything is related. And it's uh, very surprising that number one, there's a lot of poor quality shoes that are made out there. We live in a very disposable kind of product society you know so they condition us to think like oh every season you have to get a new something and then it's out of style now you know after you blinked you know and and so um so i want to change that mentality yeah and the shoes are they're they're beautiful thank you they're very classic and timeless um as you said they're not disposable does that create an issue though because people are not like buying multiple pairs they're like buying them and keeping them well surprisingly (laughs) like i think first of all like a lot of my customers who Many of them actually have become friends because they're so passionate about what I'm doing. And they like once they start wearing my shoes, they love it so much. And we start having a conversation. And, you know, I'm constantly, like, trying to get feedback as well because, you know, with every production, I want to improve upon what I'm doing. And, uh, and I'm always surprised because I know it's such an investment. But once they love it, like, they're like, okay, I'm saving up for my next pair and the next pair. Like, I have multiple like customers who have more than like three four pairs already wow yeah that's huge yeah. I, I guess that's when you know it's a good idea where you tell people about that and they're like wait that doesn't exist right 
Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. how can that be? Right. That's so funny. So you created this to, like, to solve a problem, but do you also just, like, love shoes? I do. I do love shoes. Um, there are very few things that I, I'm a collector of, and shoes, sunglasses, and watches were, like, my three big things. Oh, really? Uh, so I, I maybe one day we'll start moving into designing those things, because I love it. Yeah. But I'm a firm believer in, like, I have to love what I do, and I have to be passionate about it, or otherwise it's not really yeah. worth doing, you know? How do, how do you store, how many shoes do you own? Can you like give me a rough estimate? Uh, you know, I because of what I'm doing now, I've actually donated a lot already. Oh, wow. Because one, I don't have room, and then two, I realize, you know, I don't need all of them. So I have a very strict policy. Like if I don't wear this on a regular basis, it's donated. Gotcha. And so I donate to the LGBT center in LA for their youth center. And and they specifically use that stuff for like homeless youth, but also to help them to um, have, like, more presentable clothes for, like, job interviews, Exactly, right? yeah. So that's a, something, a, a big part of what I believe in, like, my brand will kind of, like, um, work towards every year is, like, with our new collection, I believe that every, every year when I have a new collection, I want to donate a certain amount for their wardrobe and for their uh, programs with their youth so that it gives them incentive to, like, maybe complete, like, their diploma or, like, some sort of work project or, you know, like something to kind of uh, reward them for their hard work. Uh, And then in addition to that is they have a closet for like professional interviews or school, like graduation, you know, important events that uh, I think it's really important for them to have access to clothing because it's such a big part of like how they feel about themselves and that building that confidence. And so a lot of us uh, really like donate to it every year on, on a regular basis so that, you know, it replenishes that, that wardrobe. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning that because until a couple of years ago, I even would just take all my stuff to Goodwill. Right. Um, but, like, this is so useful and, like, a need for, yes. like, people who want to, like, help out in the community. This is, like, yeah. an easy thing you can do with right. stuff you are not using. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, the center does so much for the youth. And, uh, and there's so many um, LGBTQ youth that gets kind of tossed out of their families because of their identity and their sexuality. And so the center really provides them with the resources. And I think, you know, clothing is one of those things where we take it for granted because we just have it, right? And so when you think about these kids who don't have, number one, access to clothing because they can't afford it, and then number two is access to clothing that is representational of their identity, right? So so to be able to donate that and provide them with that, it's, you know, it's really amazing. It's not really anything off our backs. Yeah. Literally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You also volunteer there as well. Yeah. What, what do you do there? Well, I used to uh, volunteer, like, at LifeWorks, you know, where we would, like, do team sports with a lot of the girls there. Uh, in the recent years, I'm more of, like, on the committee for an evening with women and uh, working on projects that are a little bit like with Lawn, like the, which is the LA Women's Network, and uh, less like actually like they're volunteering with the kids, which yeah, is something I would love to do. And I'm talking about like doing that again as I find more time because I really love that interaction and to be able to, you know, like be a mentor, you know? Yeah. Uh, but Evening with Women is one of like my biggest favorite uh, events of the year where, you know, we've had like Sia, Gwen Stefani, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, Mia Jovovich, like, perform. Those are on, huge names. Yeah, those are huge names, and it's, like, in, a, in at the Palladium, so it's, like, a pretty small venue. So it's so intimate. You sit down with dinner. 
full bar, and then you have like live auctions, silent auctions, and it, all of the f- proceeds goes towards the women and girl services at the center, which it's really like the only event of the year that puts money towards those specific, you know, resources. Yeah. So, so I'm really, really passionately uh, involved in that. Um, I have to ask, just because you are gender fluid and you designed like gender neutral shoes, yeah. um, it's an evening for women, right? Is it exclusive to women? No. Or, okay. Yeah. So really, like when it's like an evening with women, it it's kind of like a. I don't know what the word is, but like it's because the proceeds goes towards the women and girls' services. Gotcha. But obviously, we want anyone who is an ally in the belief in protecting women and girls that oh, they I'm, contribute. I'm, oh, I'm thinking more in terms of like like uh, helping like non-binary kids as well. Yeah. Is that like with the, okay exactly? Um, yeah, that's I guess umbrella. yeah. So because like you know, there's like health services, there's you know legal services, so many different services that they they have. Yeah. Uh, but. The budgets, I guess, that you know are involved is, uh, you know, they're restricted per, you know, whether it's like medication or whatever. But in terms of like for women, like for female services or anything that's falling in that umbrella, yeah, um, then this particular event kind of brings in the money for that. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and this year it's May thirteenth. Oh, that's coming so, up. So yeah. So. Please buy tickets. Do you know who's going to do it yet? Like we don't name know yet. Wise? No, okay. No. Do you know, but you can't tell me. No. <laughs> I, guess I don't know yet. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell, tell me about the shoes. Mm-hmm. Going back to that, um, from like idea to like physical product in your yeah. hand, there's uh, many, many steps. Oh yeah. Where did you start? Well, my background is actually not in fashion design, so uh, so for me, it really was just like going out. I, I left my job at Google, and what I were went, you doing there? I was a producer. A video, uh, video, uh, everything. Oh wow! Online, everything. Yeah, and uh, and I was a producer for the past I don't know, twelve years. So, so I guess for me is like I got the skill set to basically like I can produce anything. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that. I'm sure it's not that different. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know the skill set is pretty much the same. Like anything you want to produce is just like kind of that same model right of how you want to do it yeah when i got to la originally i was like so like what does that mean producer mm-hmm. and like you keep finding out more things right it's just yeah. oh, expanding always yeah and then because i've been in the advertising industry for over 20 years i guess like i've produced so many things that now i kind of know the general idea of like you know you can give me anything i can produce it you know yeah uh so when it came to shoes i was like as long as I have a, a passion for it and I believe in something, I believe I can do it. Yeah. Right? So, so I went. I quit my job and then I went traveling in Europe for nine weeks by myself. And I just like went to all these like shoe fairs. I went to tanneries. I met with shoemakers. All the different resources that you know make basically a shoe possible. Yeah. And uh, and I asked them like number one is like, why aren't you making these type of shoes? And then two, it was like, how do I go about doing it? So the first answer was basically like, oh, yeah, you know, we know there's this need, but we don't think it's worth doing because it's like such a small population. Huh. And so that immediately set me off because I was like, so you're just basically telling me my community that doesn't matter. It's not enough money for you. Right. Um, because for these big shoe companies, like they already make so many, like make, they make tens and hundreds of thousands of shoes per year. Right. For them to add on this like small size range would cost them probably nothing. Whereas for me to go in without any kind of background, any kind of resources to do an entire 14 size range is like 
humongous, like in terms of investments, capital, like to, to make all of the last, you know. And you're starting from scratch. And I'm starting from scratch, right? And so, so it always bewilders me, like why they don't just do it because they know there's a need. And even if the profit margin for them is smaller, it's still worth it. You know what I mean? And that's what really, I guess, pisses me off is that it's so much about money for them and the bottom line and not enough about the humanity of it, you know? And so, so I just decided that, you know, I'm just going to do this myself and, and hopefully my community will back me because they believe in the need, yeah. you know, and that it's more than about money. So. It seems like it so far. Yeah. When, when you were traveling around Europe and talking to people, were they like receptive? It was hard. It was very challenging because at first, uh, even now, like every time I talk to anybody in the shoe industry, it's like, no, that's not how we make a shoe. You know, it has to be a woman or a man's. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. You know, like all it has to do is it has to fit you right. Yeah. Right. And, it, and even when you have a woman's shoe or a man's shoe, it still doesn't necessarily fit everybody because at the end of the day, every human being, nobody's feet is the same, right? Like you can have a bunion, <laughs> it'll change any, everything, you know? So uh, everyone's arch is different. I mean, it's like your thumbprint, everyone's is different. So the fact that they're trying so hard to be like, well, it has to be a man or a woman's, it was really hard for me to like break through that, you know, barrier for them. And uh, But eventually they're... You know, with time, trying to explain it to them, uh, a lot of it had to be like, well, maybe I'm wrong, but just try it. Yeah. I'm not paying for it, so why do you care? Just do it, you know? And so finally after they do it and then after they see the end result, they're like, oh, okay. You know, it's like something else clicks and they're like, okay, this wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, you know? Yeah, I, I, so I guess it sounds like as we know, like our society is very gendered, yeah, and that's. But historically, shoes are some of like the oldest things we've have, right? And I guess from like hundreds and thousands of years ago, they've been yeah. making women's and men's shoes, right? Right. Just in their in culture, right? But the irony of it is like men actually started wearing heels first, you know. So like if you go back into like you know, uh, so like Victorian times, exactly. Like you know, uh, King Louis. Like yeah. I mean, you look at some of these photos and like. The wealthy, rich, like, white men were wearing high heels, you know? And uh, it wasn't until later, I think, that more and more women started catching on to that. Um, But back then, it was, like, really about stature. Like, the high heels, I think, came from the shorter men wanting to be taller, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's so funny now when I go in and I'm trying to, like, recently I've been trying to make high heels in the same size range. Oh, really? Yeah, so what that means is that I'm going to be making a high heel in, like, you know, a men's 14, right? And so a lot of times my the f- reaction I get from the shoemakers or the, the manufacturers, they're like, oh, no, we don't do that. You know, and it's this, like, hidden homophobia that they're not willing to acknowledge that why they don't want to do it. But they're like, that's just not what we do, you know, and so... Because there's actually not, like, any kind of reason why it's not possible with, like, their machinery, right? Yeah, it's totally possible. It's just a bigger shoe. Yeah, it's a bigger shoe, and maybe, you know, they might have to invest in a little bit more money in terms of, like, creating soles or, like, creating heels that could support that kind of height and weight. Uh, But it's really not like it's impossible. It's just that the first run will be the most challenging right yeah but once you do it i'm kind of the way i sell it is like you could be like part of this movement like you can part of this revolution 
And I'm sure that once we do this and it takes off, this is going to be an ongoing thing, you know. But I think is the belief, the lack of belief that this will become something. And so that's why it's really, you know, important for me with what I do right now with what I have out is having people support and, and show that there's growth. Absolutely. You know, because otherwise a lot of these manufacturers, they don't want to even try it. Wow. So, yeah. And my first thought with the heels was, oh, there's such a massive market for drag queens. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's performance. And, like, right. when it comes to, like, gender, right. um, even people who are... are um, like not gender everyone is gender non-conforming in some right, ways right. and I see um, like non-trans people so much more happy to like to wear heels out for a night mm-hmm. um, just um, for fun yeah like, and everyone's more experimenting more with that yeah and I think that's the the goal right now and I think I think culturally we're in a, in a place in our time in our lives that there is a lot more experimentation a lot more openness and the whole term I think of gender neutrality and like androgyny has like created this perception that like oh I don't have to conform to a particular style exactly based on my identity or my gender and so like with what I'm doing you know and I think a lot of times people miss this kind of key concept is the long term goal is by creating a gender equal shoe and it's not even just a gender neutral shoe it's an, an actual gender equal shoe because the last which is the mold of the shoe is designed to fit both men and women and everything in between right so it's no longer separated by this idea of like a male last or a female last what what is a last a last is basically the the form of the shoe okay right so that's how they doesn't like create the shape of the shoe yeah and um and so i you know i went in there and the, there's actual people who are experts in making like designing the last and i went in and i kind of changed that design and i made it into something i believe was gender equal um, and and I think my goal is that if I have people, like my first collection, the Fortune collection, is more masculine presenting, right? That's because that's what I knew. Yeah. That's the type of shoe that I've always wanted to wear, so I want to start with what I know. But the goal is that, you know, first we have everybody, regardless of gender, and, and everyone in, in that gender spectrum feel comfortable wearing something that's, you know, masculine presenting, but changing the concept of what's masculine presenting and realizing that it's not the shoe is not masculine presenting right the shoe is a certain type of design however you feel and identify with yourself that's how you match that style yeah right so you could be masculine presenting you can be feminine presenting you could be cisgendered or transgendered or whatever but that style if you feel you know uh uh, an attraction to that style and that's how you want to represent yourself or express yourself today then you should be able to, and yeah. it should fit you, you know? And then from there, the second collection that I'm going to be coming out with is more androgynous. So it's the absence of actual gender in the design. And so what the goal is, is that then I have people who are now starting to be comfortable breaking away from what cult, like society has conditioned us to think how shoes should fit us yeah. and how shoes should look. You know, because traditionally men's shoes look, you know, bigger and longer and wider. And then women's shoes make your feet look like they're little, little tiny baby feet, right? And because that was what was considered femi- feminine. Um, so with this next, you know, collection is basically getting everybody to be like, screw all of that. You know, now it's just like this is a sexy silhouette of the shoe that is going to match whatever, however you want to match it. And so therefore now you're expressing yourself in a way that is even farther away from any kind of gender 
And then finally, the final step for me will be starting the high heels, which is kind of taking it one step further. Okay, now that you're comfortable with having zero kind of gender identity and how you express yourself is really completely about style and not about any kind of gender, now you can feel like, oh, these high heels look really awesome too and maybe I might try that. And stop thinking about high heels as like a woman's shoe or even a drag queen. Like, it's not about that. It's about like, it's sexy and it's, you know, attractive or it complements your outfit well. You know what I mean? Like, that's where I want people to start thinking. Um, this is very deep. Like, yeah. thought out. <laughs> yeah. No, like, it's amazing. <laughs> Do you think that we are heading towards in a hundred years where clothing stores will sell clothes and it won't be split up by gender? I, I hope that it's less than a hundred years. Really? Yeah. I'm hoping that it's going to be like 20 years. Wow. Yeah. That's fast. I, I hope. Well, I feel like things, they, they move in a very kind of like uh, the trajectory of how things move, like how progress is. Yeah. It's like, Exponentially, like always, faster, 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 yeah. right? So. Yeah. You you said the. Can you explain the difference for me between mm-hmm. gender equal and gender neutral to you? Yes. So there's a lot of uh, I think misconception uh, because a lot of people say like gender neutral fashion, gender neutral this and that. And for me, I think gender neutral just means like it could be this or that, right? It's neutral. But for me, gender equal means that it's uh, inclusive of all genders so that you know uh, if you think about shoes traditionally uh, men's shoes are comfortable they're better quality they last longer you know and they're usually like they don't cost you an arm and a leg right women's shoes are traditionally like uh, made in lesser quality because they're not meant to last you for a very long time because they want you to buy new ones very soon and but they also charge you a lot right um but you never actually get to pay for the quality, I think. Um, so gender equality goes beyond just the look for me. It just also means that you're no, no matter what gender you are, you're paying the same. You're getting the same comfort. You know, you're getting everything is equal. Wow. Yeah, and so that's, that's my concept of gender equality goes, I'm starting with one step at a time, literally, you know, with a pair of shoes, and I want to move towards everything because... If you and I start buying the same kind of shoes, and then, you know, we're buying the same kind of shirts, and we're buying all the same things for the same prices, hopefully you're going to start thinking, hey, why is Nick not getting paid the same, right? And so it's, it is very deep for me because it's not just about fashion. It's about our whole society and how we can reach gender equality. It's... How, what's my part in this life, in this world, and how I can help us get there. Yeah. You know. You're like leading the resistance. Well, Le- I'm, ho- I'm one of like... Adding to the resistance. Yeah, exactly. Is that yeah. less pressure? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was just laughing because I looked down and I'm wearing nail polish. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think everyone is like more r- relaxing mm-hmm. in their gender and like how like confined it is. Right. And, and the stress of it. Yeah. Um, you said this current collection is called Future. Uh, no. Fortune was Fortune. the first first collection. The new collection's called Destiny. Destiny. Yeah. Is there a name for the third one? Oh, not yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever have to change the design for like financial reasons? That if you do X, Y, Z, it'll just be an astronomically expensive shoe? Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, 
So, for example, uh, for the second collection, I've moved to Mexico because I didn't want to compromise on the quality of the shoe and the materials I want to use. Uh, so one way to save costs was moving it to Mexico and finding uh, a small enough factory that can keep the quality that I want, but because I don't have to pay duties, at least for now, that that helps save costs. Oh, wow. So shipping is also less because it's closer. So my first collection was in Portugal, and it killed me to ship because it's all airshipped. I'm not like boat shipping because that yeah. would take forever. Um, and then also the duties. They so it costs so much, and people, you know, they're like, "Oh, why are these shoes so expensive?" It's like, well, besides the fact that you're paying for the quality, you're also paying for the fact that I'm a small little person in a small little company yeah. that is basically ship air shipping, you know, 300 pairs of shoes over. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, um, so I always put quality first, and so I'm very reluctant to change design to fit, you know, my my uh, cost. Yeah. Um, I try to find other ways first, you know. Uh, in fact, I feel like <laughs> the irony is I moved to Mexico, but instead I, like, took all the money I was going to save, and I'm... Like I'm using even better materials and better like quality stuff because I was like, oh, you know, I, oh, wow. I can, you know. Yeah. So, um, so in a way, I ended up kind of, I'm gonna end up keeping the cost about the same, but I'm hoping that people will realize like they're actually gonna pay about the same as the first collection, but they're gonna get an even better product. Wow. Yeah. I just know that on like my leather boots I have, mm-hmm. there's a swath of canvas on mm-hmm. the side, and that has to just be for cost, right? Like, to, I just figured like when they, it's like an eight by eight uh-huh. chunk, like that's just like a cheaper shoe than like putting leather there, or is that not? They correct? just put a canvas. Yeah, like, it's like it, I mean, it's built in to make it look like it's a like a design choice. Oh. Uh-huh. But um, I just think it would have been ex- more expensive with that being leather. Is that not correct? That is true. Okay. Because leather obviously is more expensive, but it's hard to make assumptions in terms of like if that was a design change per for cost, or yeah. maybe that was because they did studies and showed that maybe canvas was hot. Oh, interesting. You know, you never know, right? Oh, because the texture. Oh, wow. Yeah. I do have hot feet, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like especially for summer, like maybe people don't want to wear like all leather. Like I personally wear leather all the time. Yeah. Uh, all year long so um, but like I think like leather to me is it's like basically our skin right so it's just like it's it's a porous material it's breathable I think it's one of the healthiest things you can wear I just don't agree with like how certain you know leather industries like treat the animals yeah but that's not you know I'm very particular about which industry I use and which sources that I use so to me that's like me doing my part Huge. I mean, and to stereotype, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of queer and trans people who are vegan. Yes. Do you have any products for that? And, like, is there a good um, leather alternative? You know, um, I have been working on this for over a year now because there is a lot of people who, uh, you know, constantly reach out to me and be like, I love your designs. I would love to wear your stuff, but... Yeah, a lot in our community. Yeah, and and also like because I try to be very inclusive, I want to create products for everybody, right? But in my research and and, and also just in my experience, I have yet to find a leather alternative that I find to be ecological and healthy for our bodies. Because like a lot of the, especially the cheaper shoes, actually that exist, they're, they're all synthetic. 
But what we don't realize is that the synthetic materials that are being used are all chemical laced. It's horrible for it's like worse for the environment when they make these like faux leathers than it is for us to just wear leather. Wow. Yeah. On top of that, there's a lot of material like the chemicals in this synthetic materials that you know, when our feet sweat, right? It's very porous. We have a lot of pores in our feet. And so when we're sweating, all these chemicals are being absorbed into our bodies that we don't even realize. So I'm like, I'm not going there. So I've been researching um, mushroom leather and pineapple leather. Those are two new leathers that are out that I think are like amazing, but I have yet to like have the product in my hand to test. So until I get to actually test it, and I'm very stringent on my testing that I'm not going to... I'm not going to go outside of leather until I find something. Now, pineapple leather? Is yeah. that from, like, the stalk of the tree? Yeah. So, like, wow. it's like they recycle the, the the vegetation part of it. And then they they make this amazing leather that, I mean, from the video, looks so good, right? It looks really nice. I'm kind of amazed at the level of detail. Yeah. N- n- not that the level of detail that you know, but the level of detail that exists, yeah. For shoes, these oh, things yeah. that we've been wearing all our lives and don't think about. Right. Like, were you surprised by the number of variations and like changes of shoes? Oh yeah. I mean, I I think like after my first year into it, even now, like when I talk to certain people, like my mom was here recently for a month, and I you know introduced her to a lot of people that I work with and and mentors and stuff like that, and all of them like are like. We don't know why Nick got into the shoe industry. It's like the worst industry, you know, because you don't realize how detailed it is. And uh, and explaining to my mom, like, when you look at a pair of shoes, like, I have a lot of customers who are like, oh, why is it taking so long? And what people don't realize is that because I'm creating a custom, like a new thing, everything has to be newly made, right? It's not like a normal, like, if you order a size 12, like, it's just already going to be there, like every part of it, because it's already been made. For me, every part of what I make has to be newly made by all the different resources. And when you talk about, say, a pair of boots, like the welt around the sole, somebody makes that. The actual outsole at the bottom, somebody makes that. The heel that goes on top of that, somebody makes that, right? And then you've got the insole and the midsole. Somebody all makes that stuff. And so, Are these people all in the same location, though? Sometimes and sometimes not, because... You know, also the people I like to hire to work for me is like, I want them to be absolute experts in what they do. So sometimes it's like going to a restaurant. You don't want to eat at like a um, Mexican Japanese place, right? Like because they're maybe not experts in Mexican or Japanese food, right? Yeah. It's the same kind of mentality of philosophy that I have. Is I want to make sure I work with people who are absolute experts in what they do. So if they are soul makers then they make soles only, right? Wow. They're not also making, like, shoelaces, right? So, so how did you find these people to begin with? So it, was a, it took a long time. Like, so for the first year after I quit my job was just basically, like, meeting people, meeting people, talking to people. First of all, not, and not everybody wants to work with me because they don't know me, number one, and I'm nobody. Like, I'm no, no brand that they know, and they don't know that I'll be lo- around for very long. So nobody wants to invest. So it's really, like... Number one, convincing them what I am doing is something big, yeah. right? And then number two is I might not want to work with all of them. You know, like maybe not every one of them are like the best shoemakers, right? So I have to be picky. So now we're both picky, right? So like 
you keep narrowing down until this funnel of like maybe finally like a handful of people who want to work with you that you want to work with. And then from there, I had them make samples. And once I made a bunch of samples, like in Italy, in Portugal, in Spain, then from there, I, I could see like, oh, you know, the guys in Portugal understood what I was doing. And so they made a sample that actually looks like what I want. Whereas like the guys in Italy, they were a little bit more like chauvinistic. So they were kind of like, you don't know what you're talking about. So they just went ahead and like made whatever they thought was right, which wasn't what I wanted. You know, and also the quality, what I realized was like it costs so much more to make over there versus Portugal, but the quality at the Portugal factory was actually much better for me. So, And, and now the factory's in Mexico, though. Yeah, so I have both. So like the oh. first collection I'm still going to do in Portugal, uh, and then the second collection I'm going to do in Mexico. Wow. Yeah. Is it, uh, I didn't know, I didn't see it, but is it online or on the website, like how intricate this is and how like the level of detail? No. And that's something I realized that I need to start, I guess, communicating because people don't realize. And so I think if I maybe explained it more, maybe people would be a little bit more supportive. Yeah. understand. I just yeah. think, like like you said, like they are a higher price point of yeah. shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, but hearing about all this, it's like... So that's what this is paying for. Yeah, exactly. Not just good quality, but like the good treatment of people yes. and like the leather and the animals. Yes. Like that is insane. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's funny because I have a neighbor who is like, I think third generation shoemaker. And then when he saw my shoes, he was like, Nick, these could be at Nordstrom for like seven, $800. You know, he's like, you're undercharging. And so that made me feel really good because that, I knew I could trust his opinion. Oh, wow. You know, and, and the fact is, like, right now, I, I'm trying to make it as accessible for people as possible because I'm just starting. And I also know people in our community don't make as much money, particularly the women, you know, so, uh, like, the trans and women. Um, so, but, you know, eventually what I'd like to do is as we, per, like, increase our production, as we grow, and we can, like, maybe produce more per order, then our cost will drop. And then I'll be able to, like, pass that on to my customers. Wow. And eventually, maybe I'll even do, like, maybe a knockoff of my own line that is maybe, you know, where I do cut on, like, certain type of materials to make it really accessible for other people, you know? Wow. But I just, that's something I'm still torn about because I'm, I'm not, like, even the way I shop is, like, I always buy quality. I don't buy quantity, you know? And I think that that's not only just about spending but it's also about like ecology like how how are we impacting our earth you know if we're always buying quantity then you know we're also creating more waste you know and being more disposal like you know what I mean like I don't know I think that for us like creating a higher quality product also means that we don't have to acquire as much. We have stuff that lasts longer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but before this interview, I was thinking about how much um, like time and energy you spend in terms of design and product and how much time and energy in terms of business mm-hmm. and like, getting it. But it sounds, talking to you, like that's really, really interwoven yeah. altogether. Yeah. And I'm a one-man show, so like I do everything pretty much myself. Uh, and I've been very blessed that I have such a amazing group of friends who are very talented so if I need a photo shoot or if I need a model here and there like everyone's always eager to be like how can we help wow um but other than that like I really do everything myself and so sometimes it is very overwhelming and I 
keep saying like I would love an intern you know anyone who's like really passionate about not just what I'm doing but why I'm doing it like I could use the help but it is really hard because it's all like here you know yeah everything I do is all about right here and here so it's uh it's hard to be able to like kind of let go fascinating mm-hmm. um remind me after I think I have an idea for an intern okay for something sure. but um it's it's through the, the point foundation I have oh. a lot of friends there and they have a lot like it's all like college students awesome but they're all like Fulbright scholars only wow um <laughs> but uh we can chat perfect <laughs> um so if you don't mind me asking you um, moved here from Hong Kong mm-hmm. when you were seven Correct. Um, I bring this up because immigrants communities ha- can have the stereotype of being less accepting mm-hmm. towards um, anybody who is like trans or gay or anything on the LGBTQ s- scale. But it sounds like your family was very accepting. Is that correct? Um, I would say like my mom. More accepting. Yeah. Like my mom uh, is really kind of like my main family. Yeah. And so she was very, very accepting in the in the sense of like. She didn't make a big deal about it when I came yeah. out. Um, but, you know, for the first two years, I think she still was kind of like, you sure you don't want to try dating a guy, you know? <laughs> so uh, she's very accepting, and now she's also grown into this woman that is so open-minded. And I, I mean, I take her to the Eagle, to the oh Abbey, and she has a great time. Um, I ask because I think it's so important to hear these other stories that yeah. kind of contradict that. right. Yeah, I, I think that she's a minority in terms of like acceptance, particularly as an Asian woman. Uh, but I think in the Asian culture, it's starting to hopefully like become a little bit more open. Like, even uh, you know, I recently told her about like on Netflix, there's like a Taiwanese TV show called Bromance, where it was you know uh, a girl was born as a girl, but the fortune teller told her parents that like oh, if you have a girl, she's going to have a horrible life and she needs to live as a boy for the first 21 years or something like that. But in this story was about this woman who basically had to be, you know, a transvestite, I guess, for the first 21 years of her life. And not by choice. Right, not by choice. And so uh, she ends up falling in love with this boy who thinks she's a boy and the who's a straight man. And so, like, it becomes, like, culturally through this story, the media was trying to train the audience that it's okay for this guy to fall in love with the girl pretending to be a guy, you know? And so I guess they call that, like, hegemonic negotiation, where the audience is being, I guess, conditioned to to think, like, this is okay, it's totally acceptable, because she's technically a girl, but even though no one else in the show knows, right? But in in that transition in the story everyone else in the family in the story is totally okay with this gay couple so therefore it teaches the audience like oh it's not so it's not frowned upon like it's totally okay thank god for that positive portrayal too because we uh like subconsciously train people to like reject all the time in media because it's a dramatic story and that's exciting to watch right right that's amazing yeah but that's how far i think like asian culture is coming like they're still behind but they're trying. You can tell they're trying, yeah. and that's great. Yeah. Um, I don't know her name, but there's, like, the in China, like, their Oprah mm-hmm. is a trans woman. Yes. That's unbelievable. Yeah, she's phenomenal. I'm a big fan of hers. I don't yeah. remember her name, but, like, she's huge. Massive followers. Yeah. Um, I also recently found or read about um, Samoa. Mm-hmm. They have a recognized third gender there. Yeah. It's at, like, island, like, near Hawaii, but in the middle of yes. nowhere. Um, and it's, like, just, like normal and accepted yeah. there's men women and it's like fafatini or something right right but um 
and I'm just fascinated by that because for such a progressive culture to have this recognized third gender, um, it is for people who are assigned male at birth mm-hmm. and then pers- uh, portray male and female characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not kind of the alternative for people who are assigned women at birth. Mm, so, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting oh, that they yeah. kind of recognize one but don't um, acknowledge the other. Right, right. I mean, I, I think like the third gender is uh, in existence for a lot of different cultures around the world, particularly like third world countries, I think, which is very interesting because this feels like for us being more progressive actually is holding us back. Yeah. Whereas like if you go back into history, um, like ancient history was actually much more accepting of third genders than we are now. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I got to let you go soon, but with um, your like, gender, like, I don't want to say evolving, but like figuring it out, mm-hmm. um, coming to terms with it. Has that affected um, like who you're attracted to? Has that changed? Gosh, I actually haven't thought about that because I've been so busy with my shoes. Uh, I haven't <laughs> even really been thinking about dating. Uh, I feel like I have like my babies <laughs> and like this is my world. Uh, I, I saw the evolution in my designs as I've come into my own identity. And after I transitioned, I recognized that I couldn't just kind of become a trans man, even though I think that it was what I was born as was probably a trans man, right? But I think because I spent the last 30 years of my life really struggling to embrace the feminine side, like being a lesbian, being a part of that community, that finally, like, the struggle, I think, was kind of over. Like, I grew into it. Like, so when I finally... Be, you know, got to be in the body that I was meant to have, I realized that psychologically and mentally in my heart that I had already learned to embrace this other side of me and that it was totally okay, that I didn't need to like put it aside or throw it away just because I transitioned. I actually learned to embrace the fact that now I am even more comfortable in my body because I get the best of both worlds where I get to be you know, all that encompasses me. And I think that all of us actually have both like the feminine and the masculine and that we just need to all kind of learn to embrace both sides. And it's not about gender anymore. It's about really the absence of gender, about just how we feel in our hearts, like who we are, you know? Yeah, I think that's such a nice place to leave it on. Yeah. And I also think that that is such a, like, in parallel with your shoes. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to see that match. Um, yeah. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much yeah, for having me. Yeah, it's great me. to meet you. Yeah. And if people want to find out more about you, they can, uh, just like, Twitter, your website. Should we send them to your website? Yeah, it's uh, com, And then I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at... Nick Casey Footwear. Perfect. Thank you. And Thank you. I'm on Twitter at JeffMasters1. You can find all of our other interviews on iTunes. And if you want to leave us a comment and subscribe there, we will really, really, really appreciate that. It really helps people find us. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the host only. They do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 